All right, Daniel 7, 9 to 14. And the word should be on the screen in front of you. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took a seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to the burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken, taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came, like, came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father God, we are honored to be here tonight, and thank you for, um, just especially in this time of COVID, Lord, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for your body. Thank you for community in your body, and uh, we worship you as the king, and we, we give all glory to you, Lord. We say that in this crazy time and in our nation and around the world, Lord, that you have, you deserve all glory, you get all glory, and uh, I pray that you preach through Jake tonight, speak exactly what you want to to each one of us, Lord, convict us, may we not leave the same. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. Uh, I'd hate to break from tradition without acknowledging that uh, Taylor loves to give me really easy texts to preach. I will say one thing that's different about this time is that he's here. Uh, there were a few times that he said, hey, preach from Lamentations, preach from Job. Uh, I'm out of here. Love to just give me softballs and then take off. Um, but I actually think that this passage, this chapter, has a lot to say to us and a lot to suggest um, beyond maybe the charts of the end times that maybe you grew up with. I think there's something specific for us right now that God may have for us. Um, and so before we get into that, I'd like to pray just one more time and uh, ask God to help us. Father, as I've prayed so many times before, I thank you that you are a God who is more than just ideas. But you're a God who works in real space and time. That you are with us, that you are present, and you are active in every moment. I pray that you would speak to us through these verses. And I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear and that you give us eyes to see. That we would not be distracted by the things of this world that seem so clear, that seem so powerful and display so much influence and control. But God, open our eyes to see this world as it is and to recognize that your kingdom is present and at work powerfully everywhere. So Lord, I ask you to help me to be clear, to be faithful, and that you would help all of us to be able to hear 
what you want to say. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was 16, I encountered real darkness for the first time. We had taken a trip to West Virginia with our youth group. And on one of the days, my youth pastor thought it would be a great idea to go cave exploring. And so we got into this cave and we had a guide. We weren't just doing this on our own. It wasn't a random cave. We had a guide. We had someone who knew what they were doing. Um, And they took us into this cave and then they asked if some of us would like to go through what they called the birth canal, which I figured out pretty quickly why they called it the birth canal, because it's about 20 feet long and about halfway, uh, it got so narrow that I couldn't even keep my head this way. I had to turn it to the side and slowly crawl through. Why? I don't know why I did that, but I did it. And so the guide led us through this birth canal. It opened up into this small room uh, that sort of had ledges around it. It was this round room, the places that you could sit. And over in this one corner, there was just this hole that went, God only knows how far down. And we had headlamps on and he got us all in there, made sure we were all secure. And then he says, okay, turn off your lights. And one by one, the lights slowly started to go off. And I don't know that I can fully describe to you what it felt like. It felt like being crushed by darkness. It felt so dark, it was almost like it stole the breath from your lungs. You could put your hand right up to your face and still not see it. I have never in my life ever been any place so dark and eventually we made our our way through the rest of the cave and we came out and that night I remember being struck by something because here we were in the woods of West Virginia and I was walking from one place to another and I just so happened to look up and it was late at night and usually where I grew up a lot like here you can't really see very much So at night, it seems pretty dark. And I realized here, in a spot that I thought was so dark, it was actually brilliantly bright. I could see things I had never seen in my life. I could see stars I didn't even know were there. And I had taken astronomy in eighth grade, so I had done the whole chart. But I saw them for the first time. And the moon shone so brightly. You didn't need a flashlight. You didn't need to watch your step because it was like the lights were still on. And what occurred to me in that moment is that even when we think we are in the darkest place that we can get, even when the earth has spun so far that we are as far from the sun as we can possibly get, there's still so much light. And what is so fascinating to me, especially now as we have the technology, is they're not just these distant stars, but we realize that it may not be our sun, but there is still a sun burning bright in the night sky. And when we come to Daniel chapter 7, one of the important things to keep in mind is that this point in his life, he has been 
completely, entirely removed from his home for nearly 50 years. Likely as a teenager, foreign armies came into his country, destroying everything, removing him from his family and taking him to a place he had never seen, never been, didn't know the language, and they insisted on calling him a different name. They wouldn't honor the name his parents gave him. They would give him a name based on their gods. Everything possible that could be stripped away from somebody, Daniel and his friends had taken away. And for 50 years, he had been living in that. And there's nothing in the text that suggests his emotional state. But I feel like we're on safe ground to recognize it maybe wasn't good. After 50 years in a place, it's hard to hold out hope that you will ever go back home. That what you thought your life would be would ever return. This new thing is now your life. And Daniel's life has been totally taken over by a darkness he hadn't seen coming. And what I see in these verses for us is an invitation not just for perspective, but in so many words to learn to see in the dark. When it seems that for whatever reason, whether it's circumstances in your life or issues in the culture abroad, or you've just seen one too many political ads, it can feel like the darkness is just so crushing. Like it's stealing the breath from your lungs. And what we see in Daniel's vision is an invitation from God to begin to see again. And what happens to Daniel, interestingly enough, in verse 1 of chapter 7 and in verse 13 of chapter 7, it says something very similar. Verse 1 says that Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And verse 13 says, I saw in the night visions. Again, that theme of darkness is showing up in these, this vision of Daniel. But what is also important for us to recognize is Daniel hasn't been doing something. He hasn't been putting together a plan. He hasn't been doing his Bible studies about how to have good perspective. He is in his bed. He's in a vulnerable, vulnerable position. And there, his eyes are opened. And that like Daniel, for us to be people who can see in the dark, it's something that God does for us. It's not something that we accomplish. One of the temptations that I have recognized, being a Christian for all these years, but then even being in ministry for so long, that we have this assumption that just a little bit more information will resolve all of these problems in my life. If I just listen to that next talk, I go through that next Bible study, I read this next book, the pieces are going to fall into place and I'm going to know what to do. And Daniel says nothing like that. And it's not that any of those things have their problems, but what they, 
what they demonstrate to us is that we often have an idea of the Christian life, of what a writer named James Smith calls uh, seeing us as sort of heads on a stick, that we are brains and no more, and that the Christian life is just about bringing in as much information as I can possibly get, and if something's not working, I don't understand something, if there's sin in my life, I just need more info. And as someone who's been to Bible college and seminary and currently still in seminary, I can tell you more information has not transformed my life. More often than not, more information makes things a little bit more complicated. What Daniel needed at this point in his life after 50 years in exile wasn't more info. He needed God to open his eyes. And we find ourselves in a unique cultural moment where it seems everything's sort of being flipped on its head. And all of that happening in an election year is just cherry on, or cherry on the top, right? It couldn't be any more easy. And when we don't really even know, we don't have a sense of where things are going broadly we can fall into the temptation that if we just wait long enough, if we just keep doing what we're doing, everything will go back to normal. When what God is extending to us, what he is inviting us into, is to ask him to open our eyes so that we can begin to see. Keep in mind that so very often when Jesus has his parables throughout his ministry, and particularly about the kingdom of God, what does he so often say? He who has eyes to see, let him see. There is something being offered out to us, an invitation to be able to see and to recognize what God is doing in the world and not letting circumstances or politics or relationships or whatever it might be, don't let that dictate what you see. But God, open our eyes. Open our eyes. And I think through the rest of this and even our time, our ministry time after, I think it would be good for us to begin to just pray that internally. God, open my eyes. And if there is something, uh, I've often found it helpful to pray Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try my anxious thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. If we are praying, God, open my eyes, and we feel that maybe there is something that is stopping, something that is keeping that. Use Psalm 139 as a as a guide to pray and to explore with the Lord what could be keeping me from letting the Lord open my eyes. And we want to ask God to open our eyes so that, number two, that we can see the powers for what they are. Because Daniel's vision comes in, the, in verses that follow in, in, in verse 1 through verse 12. And I'm not going to go into all the details, uh, in part because... There's not a whole lot of details to them. Daniel has these visions of these terrifying creatures beyond description, one after another. And only for a handful is there any explanation of what they represent. Some of the beasts are connected to particular uh, 
nations or rulers, but some of them, like the horns, aren't. And you may have been raised in a church or been around a church that was very concerned about making sure we knew exactly which one was which. And I personally feel that that is missing the point. Because yes, there may be some purpose to it where God clearly says this beast stands for this nation, but where he doesn't, I don't think he is leaving a gap for us to try to guess. What makes the most sense to me is that he is showing us that no matter what the power is, whether it's political, whether it's military, whether it's economic, whatever it might be, they all come from the same place. All of these beasts, Daniel says, come up out of the sea. And John picks up on this same thing in Revelation chapter 13 where he describes beasts of his own. And they too are described as coming up out of the sea. And one of the beasts in particular, John says, has authority and power to do a couple things. To practice signs, to exhibit wonders, and to apparently be raised from the dead. That language of signs and wonders is clearly borrowed from Luke, who uses that language all throughout his gospel and all throughout the book of Acts to describe what the Spirit does when he is bringing the kingdom of God. And then obviously, resurrection is clearly a reference to the work of Christ. But there, he is saying, these creatures, these ghastly powers are exercising what seems to be only the work of God. But they come from the sea. Whereas when Daniel first has his vision of the ancient of days, of God the Father sitting on his throne, where is he? He is coming from the clouds. So when we begin to ask God to help us to see, to recognize the kingdom of God, part of what that will involve is to begin to discern who someone really belongs to. Which kingdom are they really a part of? Because there are powers in this world that are very good at using religious language to bring God's people into their fold. And they have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And this can be politicians. This can be pastors. This can be movements of all kinds. Just because the name of God is on their lips does not mean that God knows them. And if all we have is what these two eyes can see and these two ears can hear, it will be very difficult for us to recognize what is true from what is false. So it is no shock to me that after 50 years of exile, 50 years of pleading with God, that a vision comes to Daniel and he begins to see these global powers for what they are. That when we really want the kingdom to come and we really want to participate in God's purposes, that may mean that people we thought 
we could trust, the people we thought had the same goals, they might not. So we need to ask God to open our eyes, to see things for what they really are. And number three, to recognize his kingdom among us. In verses 13 and 14, Daniel has a vision of the one that he calls the son of man, which was actually the prophet Ezekiel's way of referring to himself. And so there's this odd interplay between these two prophets. And yet Daniel has this vision of this other son of man. And then when Jesus comes, his favorite way to refer to himself is as the son of man. As this one who has come from the clouds. Who has come from the right hand of God. Who describes himself as the son of man. Daniel says that he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And catch this, it's not tied to a particular nation. It's not tied to geography. It's not tied to anything else. Instead, that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. God's kingdom is not bound by anything that we try to use in this life to figure out who's on our team and who's not. When when we are looking for the kingdom of God, the question on our minds should not be uh, whose team is God on, but is are they a part of God's team? Are they a part of God's purposes? Because I heard Tim Keller describe this, that uh, the kingdom of God is not this mediating position between extremes. That it cuts diagonally across all of them. That no matter what group or issue or movement you are looking at, the teachings of Jesus and the kingdom of God have something to commend about them all and something to critique about them all. That nothing is so black and white. The only thing that is black and white is that there is the kingdom of God and there's everything else. And the other thing to recognize is that Daniel is not presenting this as something that is far off in the future. He's saying, this happened as I watched right now. This isn't something that's going to happen at a later date. This is something that is happening in the present moment. The son of man invited by the Ancient of Days to sit and have all authority. And what were Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew? All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. That when we ask God to open our eyes so that we can see things in this world for what they really are, we will also begin to recognize that the kingdom of God is present now, that it's with us now. And for me to have that hit home, I had to crawl through a six-inch hole 
with miles of stone beneath me and above me. To be in the darkest place I had ever been in my life. Only to come out and recognize that even in the darkest moments, there is still so much light shining. No matter how you want this election to go, if it goes the opposite way, guess what? There is still tremendous light shining. God's kingdom is still present. It cannot be thwarted by Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians. It cannot be thwarted by communist agendas or uh, corporate conspiracies or whatever else you think is, is opposing the purposes of God. Because keep in mind, all of these mighty beasts, all of these things that represented the oppression of God's people, forcing their exile, that in verse 11, we are told almost in passing that the beast was killed, its body destroyed, and given over to be burned. For the rest of their beasts, all their power was taken. That as simple as that, all their power was gone. But the things that seem so permanent and powerful and inescapable in this world are just vapor. So whatever you're facing, whatever, whatever you are concerned about in the wider world, the kingdom of God is here and it cannot be thwarted because keep in mind that Jesus himself encased himself in stone, allowed his body to be laid down. And Jesus, the one that John describes at the end, who shines so bright there is no need for a sun anymore. He shone so bright, encased in stone, that the stones broke apart. That Jesus, in moving that stone away from that tomb, has brought the light of a new world into this one. Let's pray. God, help us to see. Help us to see. I pray, open our eyes. Lord, you are the one who searches our hearts and our minds and our thoughts. You know the things that are keeping us from having eyes to see. Lord, would you please take those things away? And I'd invite you right now to continue to pray that. God, give me eyes to see. Lord, may we not be a partisan people, but a people committed to participating in your kingdom wherever we find ourselves. God, open our eyes so that we can recognize what you are doing and, part and partner with you in it. And God, let us not fear the powers of this world that want us to believe that they are unbreakable.
You alone, God, have all power and authority. And as the psalmist says, even the dark is as light to you. So Lord, shine your light and open our eyes that we would see. So that wherever we go and whatever we do, we can be active participants in your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.